Good evening. Uh, we have two Bible readings tonight. The first is from Matthew 9, verses 35 to 38, and Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. Matthew 9, 35 to 38. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And Acts 2, 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Thanks, Taylor. Good evening, everyone. Uh, so glad you're here on Vision Sunday and uh, good to have some people watching us and worshipping with us on our live stream. Friends, today's a, a day to reset, refocus and renew our commitment to God's purposes together. So it's great to be able to meet together in that. Now, if you're new to our church, you may not know that our vision is to see lives transformed through Jesus Christ to the glory of God. That's what we're on about. We want to see men and women, boys and girls, teenagers, come to know and believe in Jesus Christ, be changed by Jesus, be forgiven by Jesus, and then be transformed by Jesus so glory would go to God. That's the ultimate purpose. We want to see God at work so men and women uh, lead to the salvation leads to the glory of God. And you'll see our theme, Together for His Glory. Together for His Glory. This new song we, we sang as we go into this uh, new series, it's about the glory of God and His fame. And so as a church, you need to know right at the beginning, this is not about us, this is not about you, it's not about me, it's not about the reputation of Nawi Baptist Church, although that is important. It is about living in such a way as God is glorified. We talk about the five M's, uh, to magnify God by bringing people to Jesus and membership in his family, so magnify membership, leading them to Christ-like maturity, M for maturity, equipping them for loving ministry in the church and effective mission in the world. So as we think about that vision and that purpose, we want to ensure that what we do fits into God's purposes. We didn't just make these up, uh, we think they come straight out of the scriptures, and they're there to help guide us and in our ministries together. And so I was praying about what we touch upon, what passages today, as we go into a new year. God took me to, firstly, Matthew 9, 35 to 38. And I'm going to say right at the beginning, I want us to be captured by Jesus' vision. And it's a powerful little passage that the first Bible reading says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. First thing I, I want you to do, and I want us to do this year, is to see as Jesus saw. 
So he'd been preaching and teaching and uh, crowds would flock to him. And if you teach well and if you perform miracles, the lame are made well, the blind see, you're going to flock to Jesus. Everyone likes a good miracle, right? They're going to come to Jesus and they're following him everywhere, but he's preaching about the good news of the kingdom. And Jesus, though, sees the crowds. They're coming. And sometimes we don't see the crowds. Sometimes you don't see the people you come across in the shopping center or at school, at university. You see them, but you don't see them. But Jesus saw them. They were lost. They were broken. They were helpless. They needed a shepherd, a good shepherd, unlike the religious leaders of the day who were bullying the people. And they needed a saviour. They needed a messiah. Jesus sees things properly. He sees the crowds. They're poor and broken and hurting and ill. The outcasts. They are leaderless, harassed, bullied, bruised and helpless. And he also, I think, looks beyond the confident outward appearance of some. Because I guess some of the people who came to see him would have looked confident, would have been successful. But Jesus looks inside their hearts and knows that they are broken, that they are sinners, they are rebels, that they need his love and his forgiveness. Sometimes overconfident people don't realize that they need Jesus. Now, people in prison often get converted because they realize they're broken and they need Jesus. Successful sports people, successful uh, uh, business people and so on, often comfortable you have your nice big house, your car, your money, and you don't think you need Jesus. But Jesus looks into, into them. And he sees people who are lost, harassed, and helpless. So I'm going to ask you this question. Do we have Jesus' vision? Do we see people as spiritual beings in need of a shepherd and a savior? If we don't, life will go on as normal in 2022. If people don't need Jesus, you're never going to share Jesus with people, right? If, if you don't really believe that they're lost, if you don't really believe that they're harassed, if you don't really believe that, that they're going to hell, that they're under the judgment of God, he won't do anything. I remember being on a mission trip to Bali, and many in our church have been on these trips. I remember walking along the dusty uh, tracks and the roads in Bali. And it's quite easy to realize that people are harassed and helpless and lost and in poverty. See, people are begging with, with a limited number of limbs. And you see people outside of their, their, their little homes that have a, a little altar, and they offer sacrifices of food to their gods, as if their gods are hungry, right? And they need the food. And as we walked around as a mission team, we looked at that and think, wow, lost, lost. Wow, boy, we need to get Jesus to these people. They need to hear about God's love and God's forgiveness. You don't need to feed God. God feeds you, right? But we need to see Australians like that. So you come back to Australia to realize that the Australians are lost. Australians are in need as well. Our work colleagues, our fellow university students, and some of you will go to university for, for the first time this year. Those overly confident, really smart people you hang out with. You think, man, they're not going to care about Jesus. They need Jesus too. That's why you need to get involved with your university Christian groups on campus. Get trained and equipped and partner together with others to do the work of the gospel on campus. Children, youth, and some of you have been planning for youth ministry. Those young people, harassed and helpless, in need of a saviour and a shepherd. And you are going to share this good news with them this year. Kids ministry, adult ministry, whatever it is, families ministry, your shopkeepers, wherever you go to a cafe, pray that you'll be able to see them as Jesus sees them, lost and yet valuable, so much so that God sent his son to die for them. 
But secondly, don't just see. Don't just see the crowds, see, look. I often like to sit and have a coffee by the side of the road, often when traffic goes past and people are walking up and down. And uh, it might sound a bit strange, but I watch people, do you? So what are they like? There's a family, someone's shouting at a kid and, and someone's running around here and I wonder what's happening in their life. I need to see people. But then when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. And I'm told literally the, the Greek for have compassion may refer to a gut reaction. You see a need and your stomach knots up. I remember once uh, in Marigville and uh, when I was younger and I was at a bus stop and just down the street I saw some guy and I heard him punch another guy in the face and the guy collapsed on the ground. I tell you, there, there's a physical reaction in you when you see that. And you, you want to do something. You think, how can I help? Who do I call? Hoping that this guy will go away and not hit him again. Someone has said you can pity someone and watch him die. Oh, well, that's his tough life. But compassion moves you to do something for that needy person. Jesus saw and he felt something for them too. Do you know how much Jesus did for us? How did he show his love for us? If we think about compassion for others, how far would you go? What did Jesus do? Well, he went to the cross. They beat him, they scourged him with whips that ripped the skin off his back. They nailed him to a cross and they lifted up that cross and they dropped it in its place and they left him there to suffocate. When he could breathe no more, he died. That's how much he loved us. Cruelest form of torture the Romans had invented. God allowed his son to endure that, to demonstrate his love, to take our punishment, to be a sacrifice in our place, to have victory over, over the evil one and over sin. A sacrifice, a victorious sacrifice, because he loves us. Compassion. Friends, when you see and you feel, you've got to do something, don't you? Dr. Pierce was the founder of World Vision. You know, World Vision is a great organization serving the poor and the needy across the world and also taking the good news of Jesus to them as well. It's not simply feeding them, but sharing Christ with them as well. When he saw the need, he prayed, May my heart be broken with the things that break your heart, O God. See, feel, and pray in that way. John Knox uh, led a major taking of the gospel to Scotland. And you know what he said? He, one of his prayers was, Oh God, it wasn't. It was like this. Oh God, give me Scotland or I die. Well, that's a bit over the top, you think? Give me Scotland or I die. In other words, it's not like, oh God, if you want to save someone in Scotland, that's good. Just passing through. No, no, no. Scotland needed Jesus. The people needed to be saved. And he said, God, let's do something in Scotland. Hudson Taylor went to reach the Chinese. William Carey, a heart to reach India. Tim and Val, a heart to reach people in South Central Asia. Ado, a heart to reach the surfing communities in Asia as well. David and Carol working amongst Muslims in Asia. Peter Beck and Michelle working with a power to change going into schools to take the gospel. Our kids and youth leaders, our SRE teachers, our playtime leaders. A passion to bring hope to the lost. Our craft leaders, we could go on. You can pity them this year and watch them die and stay separate from Christ. Or with compassion, You'd be praying for opportunities to bring good news to them. Mike, uh, Mike was a friend uh, I studied at Bible college with. And he was an English guy and he said, uh, I'm an alcoholic. I said, uh, okay, what do you mean? He said, well, I had a major alcoholic problem and uh, 
I, because of alcohol abuse, so I, I lost my marriage, I lost my business, and I landed living on a little boat on the Thames River in London. I said, well, what are you doing here at Morling College studying the Bible for the ministry of the gospel? How did you end up here? It said, uh, one day, there were, so it was a teenage mission from the United States. They came over. They were out witnessing the people around the area. And they came to me, and, uh, and I didn't have many friends, and I rejected by my wife, and uh, I was a misery, he said. Harassed, helpless, lost, broken. And these kids kept telling me about God's love. And the final day, he said, I didn't respond, but the final day they came to me and said, Mike, one last chance. We want to tell you before we go home that God loves you. And God can change your life. He can transform your life. He can make something of your life. So I didn't do anything then, I think, but as the kids walked away, I thought about that. Now, a bit later, he gave his life to Christ. And God started to transform him. We're talking about transformation, a genuine transformation. He then, his wife saw the changes and he said, well, what's happened to you? He said, oh, I've met Jesus. My sins are forgiven. I'm getting help for my alcohol problem. She too was converted. And God had brought him to Australia to work in ministry together. A group of teenagers who felt that gut reaction, compassion for this man who was lost and broken and dared to do something. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. People matter to God. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Friends, that's why evangelism and global mission must be at the forefront of our ministry at Nawi Baptist. We can never talk evangelism enough in a church. Someone sometimes says, oh, we're always talking about evangelism, not enough about love. You can never talk too much about evangelism because I'll tell you what naturally happens. We naturally gravitate to love and fellowship rather than evangelism and mission. It's natural. You find that? It's much easier to hang around with some people, have a Bible study together, have coffees and tell you how you're going with your life, uh, yeah, reading your Bible, than to be out there sharing Christ with people. You must do as Jesus did. Jesus went around the towns and villages teaching, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. He's preaching the kingdom, demonstrating that the kingdom had come through the healing ministry. But then at the end of Matthew 28, at the end of the, this gospel, when he was about to set his disciples free to go on the ministry. In other words, he's trained them, he's equipped them, he's given them a vision. Now he says, go. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Preach the kingdom. Now, guys, it's your go. Off you go. Trusting in me, I'm with you. Never leave you, never forsake you. Go take this gospel to the ends of the earth. Take it to that place called Australia. Take it to that place called uh, South Africa. Take it to that place called Brazil. Not that they knew those places at that point. Take it. And friends, most people will become Christians because they have a Christian friend. A Christian friend who loves them and cares with them and invites them and includes them in their life. And slowly we hope that as you do that and they ask you questions and they see your life being transformed by Jesus, they'll want to know how they can be a part of that. I must say, when God changed my life as a teenager, I was 15 when I became a Christian, and uh, I knew my life had been completely surrendered to Jesus. Becoming a Christian from a Greek Orthodox background, I knew I was going to cop heaps. 
My parents weren't going to be happy. My relatives weren't going to be happy. People in my community weren't going to be happy. But we were touched, myself and some other people. We just thought, well, Jesus is the only way to God. Everyone else is going to hell. We've got to get out there and tell people about Jesus, right? Now, when you're 15 and 16, you're going to change the world for Jesus, right? Anyone like that? You remember those days? Some of you are not even 15 or 16 yet. <laughs> but some of us, it was like, we're going to change the world for Jesus. We do ministry and we get a little bit older, then we get a little bit tired, and, and then we don't maybe struggle to change a nappy or two and then change the sheets in our bedrooms, but not changing much else. Now, when I was a teenager, it was like, there were a whole bunch of us, I remember John Dixon telling similar stories about his own life with his mates, just anywhere they went, talking about Jesus. I remember setting up an ICF group with my, at my school in more high. I just said, I found a Christian teacher. I said, hey, we should set up a Christian group on campus at our school. Okay, let's do that, just to take Jesus to others. I was involved at Sydney Teachers College. I, I just thought, if you go to college, you don't just study to be a math teacher. That's pretty boring, right? Amen. Yes, yeah, not. <laughs> That's not exciting. But running a, a weekly Christian group and running Bible studies and running evangelistic events and writing for the student newspaper and telling them about Jesus, that was exciting. So I went to teacher's college for four years and I was on a scholarship the day they used to give us scholarships. There was no, no fees for me back then, thank God for Gough Whitlam. Right? No fees, no hex, nothing. Free, and they gave me money to do ministry on campus while I was studying to be a maths teacher. And then I got into a high school again. People said, Gratsunas, you're meant to be teaching maths. You spend all your time running Christian groups and camps and so on. I said, well, as long as I do a good job teaching maths, I can do the other things along the side. Talitual Baptist, running youth groups with a whole bunch of people, with some of the toughest kids and so on. Some of you are young and energetic. You just start, yeah, some of you are a bit older over here. But you guys over here, I'll come to you in a moment. <laughs> When Jesus sees and feels and starts proclaiming, he wants us to do the same. He wants us to get out there and make a difference for him. As someone said, you only one life. It will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Whether that's serving overseas on mission, going to full-time ministry at a Bible college, to train to see where God will lead you. And we pray, as Jesus taught us to pray, Jesus, when he saw the people harassed and helpless, he saw, he felt, he was preaching. He said, the harvest is plentiful. The workers of you ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus just sees the work. And friends, today we just see the nations. of the world. We see our community where very few people are Christians. We see the harvest and we pray that God would send workers into the harvest field. Young people, older seniors, Muslim groups, Hindu groups, football teams, whatever it happens to be, craft groups. But don't pray unless you're willing to be the answer to your own prayer. Don't pray until you're willing to be the answer to your own prayer. Because who are going to, who are going to be the workers? Where will the workers come from? It's us. When we pray that God will send out workers, he's really saying, come on, let's pray. And some of you are studying the Bible part-time at college. Others are volunteering as youth leaders and home group leaders and others are running other ministries. Praise God for that because you are the workers. Keep praying that God will raise up more workers to go into the ministry. Chloe's taking a step of faith to do a degree at Morling College. Tim's going to look after her, aren't you, Tim? 
I'm saying, who's next? Who's 25, 26, 27 thinking, I should invest not in a career here which might make money and give me a comfortable life, but maybe I should think about going into full-time ministry or mission or youth pastor or women's ministry, whatever it happens to be. Who's next? Sometimes we can't find workers to join our team. We're willing to pay them. We can't find them. I'm just saying, who's next, right? Who's God speaking to? Let's pray that God will send more and more workers into the ministry and mission field. And what's exciting about Acts chapter 2, if we move to that now, is that Jesus saw that vision. He asked them to pray, and we learn from Jesus' heart. And then we see the church living out that vision. And that's exciting. Jesus casts this vision, and then they live it out. You know, the disciples uh, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus promised them uh, the power of the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus said, wait, you won't believe what's going to take place. The Holy Spirit will fall on you. And in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes in a very visible way, so people know it was the Holy Spirit. They speak in strange tongues, or no, other languages at that point. And then Peter preaches the message. It tells them that Jesus is the Messiah, and that they killed the Messiah. And when they realized that Jesus was God's Messiah, that they killed and crucified on the cross, they said, what must we do? They said, you must repent and believe, and you'll find forgiveness, and you'll receive the Holy Spirit. And then 3,000 people became Christians that day. That was a powerful event, Acts chapter 2. And then we see, what did they do? God converted, what did they do? They were devoted to the Word. A number of devotions here that I think is important for us in 2022. If we're going to follow Christ, we're going to put Him first, seeking His glory, be devoted to the Word. They wanted to know the Apostles' teaching. Uh, they didn't want to know Angel's teaching or someone, someone else or some dude on his podcast or some other book. It's really, what does God say? Sure, podcasts and books are all good if they're written by good people, guiding you into the truth. They wanted to know. They wanted to become mature. And so I'm saying, whether you're on live stream, on here, be here on a Sunday. Get alongside other people where you're hearing the Word of God. You will hear it better, let me say, if you're at live stream. You will hear it better if you're in this place, if you're confident to come, than being distracted at home by all the other things around you. That's the truth, isn't it? You young adults know that. Yeah, man, if I'm at home... I'm not listening, I'm not watching anything. If you can be here, be here. Join a home group, study the Bible with your group, and turn up to your group, right? Turn up to your group, even if you're tired. Read the Bible by yourself. Daily Bible reading and plan. Second, be devoted to the community. Devoted to the fellowship. And the words our Greek word is kinonia. Some people call it koinonia. That's a dumb way to say it. Um, it's, the, it's kinonia, right? That's a modern way, a Greek way of saying it. I'm sure it was the ancient way of saying it as well. And what it means, it's, don't ask Tim McBride, uh, Tim, uh, expresses the mutual commitment of believers to one another, helping one another grow up into Christ. If you are committed to the fellowship, if you're committed to the kinonia, you are committed to investing in the lives of others. Look around you. Don't just let them grow by themselves and struggle by themselves. We are called to invest in each other. Love, pray, comfort, encourage, open up the word with others. The Bible says encourage each other, admonish each other, and teach each other the word of God. And you command, I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. You must. 
By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Friends, sometimes I hear people say in churches and like everywhere else, oh, you know, but I don't relate very well to the other people in my church. We don't have similar interests or, you know, people in Bible study group, someone's into this and someone's into something else. I don't care. (laughs) Who said you have to relate at all these levels? You see, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are in Christ. And we'll look at that sermon next week. God brings us together as the family of God. You know, I have two brothers. We don't have a lot in common. They're still my brothers. I still have to look after them. I still have to show interest in them. I should should still pray for them. I still visit my brother when he has a heart attack in hospital. Oh, I don't have that much in common anymore. It doesn't matter. Do you get it? This is the church of Jesus Christ. This is not a football team. This is not a chess club. This is not your local social golfing club. This is the church of Jesus Christ. We are the family of God. We are the body of Christ. And God puts us together and he says, go, love. Don't run away from others. Sure, some of us are more difficult to handle than others. People have to put up with me as I have to put up with you at times. But God says, by our love, the world will know that we are Jesus' disciples. Right? Love each other. Friends, that's why we run home groups, so you can build relationships and stay closer to one another. And that's why we have social programs and coffee before church and camps and all that type of thing, because we want to provide spaces for you to really care for one another. Can I say in 2022, don't run from the fellowship, run to the fellowship. Care for people. Don't avoid them. Be devoted to worship, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayer. I love that. The breaking of bread is probably a reference to the Lord's Supper. First century, the believers would gather and they would have a meal together. In the middle of the meal, they would stop, remember the broken body of Jesus. They would remember the shed blood of Christ and they'd share the Lord's Supper together. But I like that because in the middle of their gathering is a remembrance of the death of Christ on the cross. It is Christ-centered. The worship of Christ and his death and his resurrection. Why? For Christ died for sins once for all the righteous, for the unrighteous to bring you to God. They know that Jesus is central. Devoted to prayer, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the kinonia, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And so we need to be men and women who call out to God at all times of the day to say, God, we cannot do this without you. God, we cannot do this in our own strength. God, we are not capable. And uh, John Piper puts it this way, prayer reminds us that we exist to do what we cannot do in the natural, but we can do in the power of the Spirit. When I think I can't do it, I don't know how to love that person. I don't know how to put up with that person or care for them. I don't know how I'm going to handle the opposition my parents are giving me to my faith. I don't know how to handle that person in my workplace. Call out to God, say, God, please help. I need your help. And the Holy Spirit empowers you to do that work. Be devoted to joy and praise, verse 46 and 47. Every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. Now, this is the beginning. Not everyone can keep meeting every day in the temple courts because there are no temple courts here. We've got to go to work and, uh, and we gather at different times. But they broke bread in their homes and they ate together. They had meals together. There was hospitality. 
And they ate together. It's great to eat around or gather around food with glad and sincere hearts. Listen to that. Glad, happy hearts, sincere hearts, praising God. These early Christians were not miserable. They were happy in Christ, right? They were joyful in Christ. There was something beautiful and exciting about knowing Jesus. Jesus was their everything. And John Piper puts it this way, if we don't want to make a big difference for God, we need to keep this in mind, that God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in him. Or God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in God. Friends, when you know God and live for his glory and for the spread of his fame, to help other people know him as well, when he is your everything, you live passionately for him. You see, you feel, you preach, you pray, you give to God's work. And finally, devoted to evangelism and mission. They weren't just in their home groups, they weren't just in their gatherings, they weren't just sharing meals together, but the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Well, how did the Lord add to their number? Well, clearly, they're preaching as well, aren't they? And other people are coming in and saying, what's happening with you guys? What's this Holy Spirit? What's this transformation taking place? You guys used to be Jews and now you're Christians. What is happening amongst you guys? They're coming in and they're listening to the gospel. Said, you wouldn't believe it. Jesus, they killed him, they crucified him. On the third day, God raised him from the dead. And now we've received the Holy Spirit and we're going to live this new life for Jesus. He is the King. And Lord kept adding to their number those daily those being saved. It is my prayer that God will keep adding daily those who are being saved. Friends, now we Baptist Church. May we be captured by Jesus' vision in 2022. May we live our vision together so we see life transformed to the glory of God. For COVID or no COVID, we are on a mission from God. The mission has been given to us. It's our task in the power of Christ to fulfill it. We pray. Lord God, we thank you that you save us and then you call us to a radical lifestyle. We thank you for the example of the Lord Jesus, his compassion, his mercy, his sacrificial death, his powerful resurrection. We thank you for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit who now lives in all those who trust in Jesus. And may we be like the early church, devoted, God, devoted to prayer, devoted to Jesus, devoted to evangelism, devoted to joy and praise, devoted to making a difference for the sake of your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.